Welcome to the FIFA Living Football Podcast with me, Reshmin Chowdhury. This is a brand new show where we'll be speaking to the biggest names in world football, including coaches, players and legends, as well as some of the unsung heroes of the beautiful game. We'll be taking you behind the scenes at FIFA's tournaments and we'll provide an insight into FIFA's dedicated support to football around the world. Today, we are talking Bavarian brilliance in the FIFA Club World Cup. Spain legend Xabi discusses his fondness for the tournament and the FIFA president Gianni Infantino reveals how preparations are going ahead of the much-anticipated FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Plus, my special guest this week is a FIFA legend in every sense. From me, Rashmin Chowdhury, on the first ever episode of the Living Football Podcast. We'll also be with you every two weeks, right up until the end of the year, to discuss all things FIFA. So make sure you join us for this journey. There'll certainly be plenty of exciting things to get our teeth into, plus some very special guests. Well, joining me today is a goalkeeper who played for Bromby, Manchester United, Sporting, Aston Villa, Manchester City. He's Denmark's most capped player. He reached a FIFA World Cup quarterfinal and he won the Euros with his nation in 1992. Oh, and by the way, he sealed an historic treble with Manchester United in 1999. Not a bad career then. Um, I'm sure you can all guess who it is. Peter Schmeichel, very warm welcome to you. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm very good. How is uh, lockdown life going for you, Peter? Oh, it's, uh, well, I think everyone would, would agree that it's a, it's a very unusual way and, and a way that we have not ever seen anything like in God knows how many generations. But it's getting to a point where, you know, I'm, I'm quite bored. Um, but I also feel that I'm quite privileged where I live. You know, I live in a small village in, in, in Denmark. I have the sea, you know, on one side of my house. I have the, the woods on the other side. I've got a dog I can walk. And, you know, Life hasn't changed that much. Not my everyday life hasn't changed that much. But I'm also someone who, like you, are, are working on the Premier League. Uh, you know, I'm at, at games every week, and that that has stopped. And you know, it's it's been a, it's actually it's coming up to a year now since I've been at a Premier League game. It's a long time. Absolutely, you're right. It's a real privilege. Sometimes you have to keep reminding yourself. Actually, when for me, when I'm sitting out in the cold, I take all sorts of things to keep myself warm. And you have to just remind yourselves that the fans would do anything to be there right now, and we hope they can return as soon as it's safe to do so. Well, um, just to explain a little bit more about this uh, Living Football podcast, we are in fact the little sister of the new Living Football TV show, which you can watch across FIFA's digital channels. And here's what we mean by Living Football: it's it's a commitment to the game. It's a commitment to the people, a commitment to the planet and a commitment to the future. It's really what we do at FIFA and we want to share all those stories and really make everyone feel part of the FIFA family because, quite frankly, for many of us, football is such a huge part of our lives and we really do live it and breathe it. Now, there's been a big football tournament recently, so we're going to start with this month's FIFA Club World Cup in Qatar. Six teams from five different continents battled it out for a place in the final at the Education City Stadium, where UEFA Champions League winners Bayern Munich edged out the CONCACAF Champions League winners Tigres of Mexico. Looking for that decisive pass in, and here it is. Keeper makes the save. Ball thumped into the pitch. Flag raised. No goal. Lewandowski, he was the one who went in for the header. They are checking that offside, leading up to what Bayern Munich felt was a breakthrough strike. The goal 
is given. Well, even they look a little bit surprised. And the Frenchman has broken the deadlock here. It is Bayern who have the advantage. And a 1-0 success today against Tigres means that Bayern Munich continue to be invincible in the FIFA Club World Cup. They conquered Europe, now they conquer the rest of the world. Those champions of Bayern Munich and Germany. Well, Peter, you know, you were lucky enough to, to watch them as they conquered Europe. They're the first side to make a clean sweep of domestic and international titles. Six trophies in eight months, which means that they've emulated the achievements of Pep Guardiola's Barcelona back in 2008-2009. I suppose the fact that it's taken, what, 11, 12 years for someone to be able to match that shows you just how big an achievement that actually is. It is. I mean, you have to win everything at home first of all, to get into that position. And, you know, you talk about the Bundesliga, La Liga, Premier League, Serie A, League One. It, that's, that's, no, uh, that's no easy thing to do. As you, you mentioned in the introduction there, that I was part of the team that won the treble in, in, uh, in 1999. And there's been a lot of debate about, since then, other teams that's popped up and played really well. Pep's had one, but it is really difficult. You, If you play in, in, in six different tournaments or in three years, as if we just talk about a travel, a domestic travel. We we played in, in the last part. I know we had 14 games. The last 14 games we had, of course, they were like cup finals. And we played one of those games every 3.8 days. So that is not even taking internationals into account. So every, every 3.8 day, you have what is the equivalent of a cup final. Because if you don't win that, or don't don't get a result that takes you on to the next next bit, keeps you in in the hunt for the title, for instance. Then it's gone, and you know, and it can be a little thing. I mean, we had we had a game in, in January. I remember that we played the child in a way. Uh, we won the game one 0 but we scored in the 90th minute. Can you imagine if we hadn't scored that goal? That would have given us one point. Well, we got three and we won the Premier League by one point. So we would not have won. So you, you have to have every little thing going with you. But you can only have that if you have quality. And uh, of course, Hansi Flick, what can you say about him? If you look at the German coaches now, how incredibly skillful they are in communicating, how they always tailor and toil their temperament. And you never see them really angry. You always see them, you know, arm around the shoulder. You don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but it's very, very clear as someone, Hansi Flick, has got every single player's respect. You see the same with Jurgen Klopp. You know, it's, so at the moment, the German coaches are, you know, they're rocking the world. God knows who the next country will be. Probably Denmark, I think. <laughs> uh, could be, could be very much could be well I mean you know one of the one, <laughs> one, you never know I mean one of the obviously Bayern's former coaches was Pep Guardiola he's I mean we can talk about him in a sec because he's a on a great run at the moment but he in fact had a obviously he achieved so much success with Bayern Munich he had a message to fans on Twitter let's hear what he had to say hi to everyone big congratulations to all Bayer family for this incredible success to be the club world champion, especially to win six to six titles. Uh, we are so proud, I am so proud, and a big congratulations for everyone, and especially Hansi, uh, the players and the backroom staff for this amazing thing. 
but uh, I would like to say to Hansi that you are the second team to win the six titles in a row. So before it was another team, it was Barcelona. So maybe I can call Messi and company and we can play for the seventh title. So tell me when and where and we will be there. Congratulations again to your family. Oh, I've got to tell you, Peter, what a rematch that would be, or just a match in itself. Pep's Barca of 2009 and Flick's Bayern of 2020. Uh, which team was better? No, it's... Oh, it's, hard it's, to it's, say. Uh, <laughs> it's not hard to say. It's impossible. Because uh, <laughs> if, you, if you think about how football was played back in 2009 and how football is being played now, it's very, very different. Back then, Barcelona had players everywhere on the pitch who could deal with the ball and they were playing, really playing right from, from the goalkeeper and up, playing, 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 keeping ball, keeping possession. At the time, I was uh, I was working on Champions League uh, in, in Denmark and with uh, Brian Laudrup and Preb Melchior Larsen. And we always agreed that Barcelona at the time was the most defensive team in history. And, you know, our viewers were like, what? But when you keep the ball, you know, the other team can't score. Just can't score. So what they were doing was keeping the ball, tiring out all the the, the other teams they were playing against, and keeping them away from away from the ball so they couldn't create any chances. And then you know you got the quality players that they they um, they had at the time, unbelievable player. And yes, them you know Xavi and Messi, of course. When you have players like that in the team, absolute match winners, geniuses in their own in their own right. They can, I'm not saying they could switch it on and score a goal whenever they felt like it, but they could switch something on. And, and when they did, it was just incredible to watch. You know, I mean, let's talk about the keeper situation, actually, at Bayern. Look, I, I hosted the um, the best FIFA Football Awards back in December. It was all virtual because yeah. we were in Zurich and it was very, very different kind of ceremony to, to what you'd be used yeah. to. Lewandowski, of course, got the best uh, FIFA men's player, but Neuer got the best men's goalkeeper as well. I mean, yeah. what do you make of him as a player? Because you would, you know, you've already mentioned a little bit about how the role of the keeper has changed. It's, you know, very much playing out yeah. from the back. We saw you were pretty good with your throwing as well. I mean, what do you make of Neuer, first of all? And what do you make of this sort of changing role of the goalkeeper and how Neuer fits in it? Do you see some of yourself in him? I, I saw my job as someone who helps the guys in front of me stopping everything that comes our way. I, I keep them informed about your players who runs. I keep them further away from the goal than they probably are comfortable with. And if anything goes over the top or something, you know, play in between players, then I it was very uh, important that I then could you deal with that and give them the confidence of being out there. I like Neuer. I think, you know, pe- people talk about, oh, that's uh, unconventional to save. And, oh, it, oh, and I'm thinking... That's weird, you know. When you listen to to pundits and commentators and co-commentators, oh, oh yeah, he went with his feet. And I'm like, have you got any any idea what the job of a goalkeeper is? Once it's it's that, doesn't matter how you save the ball, you just have to save the ball, and that's not really kind of noticed by anyone. But Neuer is a master of that. I mean, he really has. He sort of redefined the role, hasn't he? And is someone who, as you say, maybe doesn't get 
the credit he deserves for the role of the goalkeeper and someone who I think is like sort of a magician and in a in a silent sense but you saw everything that he did that I would say is the Spain legend Chabi now he's been speaking to our living football TV colleagues um, and he's currently the manager at the Qatari side Al Saad and uh, he's obviously had a glittering career he won the FIFA World Cup with Spain he mm. won the Euros twice as part of that Barcelona side that incredible side that we've been talking about that won the Champions League four times the UEFA Champions League but he told us in fact he was talking about this um, Bayern side and winning the FIFA Club World Cup and he told us just how significant it was for him to win this particular tournament. Well, for us at FC Barcelona, it was the first time we'd won it. It was both a historic and very important win. It was the crowning moment of an amazing season for us. The normal thing is that you go and win your Continental Championship and that the FIFA Club World Cup win was the cherry on top of that amazing season, really. When you come here as European champions, the fans tend to see you as the favourites, don't they? That's no longer the case. Bayern were made to work really hard to win this competition. So I think it will become increasingly tougher to win it. And now perhaps the competition will begin to get the recognition in relation to that, for the first time ever, we saw the 2020 CONCACAF Champions League champions reach the FIFA Club World Cup final. Is that an indication that the gap between teams is closing and there's a more level playing field than there was previously? Yeah, and to sum up this tournament a little bit, we can see that any team can make life very tough for you because the level of preparation is so high in terms of fitness, technique, tactics, even in terms of the mentality. Coaches throughout the world are also very good. In Mexico, the level is excellent. It's been continuously improving. The national team pretty much always qualifies for the FIFA World Cup, doesn't it? So it's tough to compete against them. The South American champions are usually very tough opponents. And that's also the case of the African champions. I'm currently coaching an Asian side, Al Said, in Qatar. And there are some very good teams here that are capable of competing against European sides. And we're not talking about just any old European opponents either. We're talking here about the best team in Europe, which is currently Bayern. They struggled to win this competition. Speaking of the new world champions, Bayern, what aspect do you find most striking about them as a team? Well, I'd say they're currently the best team in the world because they're strong in every department. In terms of fitness, they're excellent. Technically, they're brilliant. As a team, everyone works hard, attacks, everyone defends. Everyone knows their job, even from a tactical point of view. They're very good. From set pieces as well, they're strong in every department. When tournaments such as the FIFA Club World Cup are organised or next year's FIFA World Cup is another example, what's the impact in terms of the legacy and local infrastructure? How does the host country benefit from hosting such events? Well, one of the first benefits are the improvements to the infrastructure. As I mentioned before, new stadiums are being built, restaurants and hotels too. That changes the country. The host countries always benefit from hosting such prestigious and major football tournaments. From a tourism point of view as well, people can come and see Qatar for themselves as a current example. Those are the advantages for the host country. It will improve the country without question. Every country that's hosted such a tournament always benefits from doing so. Qatar is showcasing itself to the world and of course there'll be a lasting football legacy but a social one too. How are the preparations for the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar going? Since you're in a privileged position in terms of being able to see how the preparations are coming along here in Qatar. Bien, yo diría excelente. 
Great. So I'd say they're progressing excellently because they've had a lot of time to prepare. They've been preparing for almost 10 years now, and the city and the country as a whole has really changed in terms of infrastructure, particularly the roadways, motorways, hotels and restaurants. They've all been upgraded to a great standard. People will be surprised at the country they find. Everyone that comes here and might have a certain prejudice towards the Arab culture and the religion practice in the region is always surprised and goes away with a wonderful impression. The country is fantastic. Very welcoming and safe. I've been living here for the last six years and it's been wonderful. It's one of the best decisions I've made in both my professional career and personal life. So I think people will be surprised. I think it'll be a historic World Cup. They've been preparing for it for many years and that's an advantage. But they've been doing things in the right way and it's all been done in a straightforward and professional way. It's been great. It honestly has. I predict it will be a historic World Cup. Yeah, it's interesting, Peter, because you, you know, you might have to only win two matches to be the um, FIFA Club World Cup champions. But as you were saying, you know, you've got to win everything else. I want to ask you just from your days, just what does it take to have that level of consistency, you know, to actually be able to dominate every single tournament that you're in? You've done this with Manchester United. What did it take? It's not easy. It's not really easy. It's not easy at all. But if you take the ingredients, uh, of course, you need to have a good squad of players. You need a, a coach or a manager with a very, very clear direction, an understandable direction, so a plan, if you like. You know, there's no science in this, but let's just say that you need, you know, every every player to perform a minimum of, of, of 95% in every game. You can't have anyone dropping off. Everyone has to play well or thereabouts. And, and then the next thing is, and I think that's, that's, that's kind of significant and very important. You need a lot of luck, you know? You need luck. If you're winning a game 1-0, we did, we won a few games 1-0. If you, if you break those games into what happened, you know, you know they, 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 they hit the post, they hit the, the bar. That could have been 2-1 to them. So you need all these little things to go your way. But they can never go your way if you don't have the quality. And then, of course the manager, the direction, the plan. What what are we doing? How then, did Sir Alex prepare you? What did he say before every single game? Again, the time was a little bit different than what it is today. It's There is a lot more tactical work and a lot more tactical information in today's football than what we had back in, in the 90s. And not to say that we were tactically stupid and we couldn't change, but it, it was really difficult because... In order to win the Premier League, you had to play in a certain way. You had to keep the tempo really, really high. It took us a long time. It took, you know, Sir Alex a long time to prepare the team. But it wasn't done in the in the training running up to the game. It was done over a really long period of time. And that, that for me is, you know, when I said you need a, a manager who has, you know, a clear direction, a plan. Because it took so long, you understood along the way. It was not a point where you were confused about what you needed to do and how we were playing or... Oh, and then again, I have to say with Sir Alex as well, there was a massive element of of freedom. He would use expressions like "go and express yourself." So I'm not telling you where to put the ball. You can find that out. Find out what you know you feel in that. But we were still working within parameters of 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 you know a framework of this is how how we we play and this is who we are. It's absolutely fascinating, Peter. I think we should keep you on for a whole series because there's so many fascinating sort of insights from you. Um, (laughs) Plenty more to come from Peter as well. Coming up next, an exclusive Living Football interview with the FIFA president Gianni Infantino. 
Hello, I'm Kaká, and you are listening to FIFA's Living Football Podcast. Well, what a player Kaká was. We've got an interview with him coming up in the next few weeks. You will not want to miss that. But for now, though, it's time to hear from the main man himself, Gianni Infantino, former Swiss midfielder and co-presenter of the living football TV show, Jelson Fernandez, caught up with the FIFA president at the FIFA Club World Cup in Qatar. He began by asking Infantino about the challenges of planning a FIFA World Cup during a global pandemic. To see that uh, a World Cup can be organised safely like the club world cup here in uh, in qatar shows that uh, football is back to life really at global level and uh, and we can see really some light at the end of the tunnel so it's a great satisfaction even if you know we have to be aware of the current situation we have to be aware that health is the top priority and has to remain the top priority but it's good to see uh, the ball rolling again in a world cup what does it mean to fifa to host the world cup for the first time in the middle east well, I think uh, for FIFA it is um, an opportunity, but more than uh, just for FIFA, it is an opportunity for the world that the next World Cup is hosted in the Middle East, that it's hosted in Qatar. It will be the best World Cup ever, and uh, it will be an opportunity for the world to come to Qatar, to come to the Middle East, to come to the Gulf, to discover a culture, to discover a region, to discover a passion, to discover a lot of beauties, and to see that football is truly global, that uh, the passion for football can be lived in security, in health, in peace all over the world. So the FIFA World Cup 2022 will be uh, a great event uniting the world. It's more than just a competition. It's more than just crowning the best football team in the world. It will be a moment of uh, unity it will be a moment of uh, communion, a moment of bringing people together in solidarity, and especially after the coronavirus pandemic that uh, we are going through now, to be able to live again such a moment is uh, incredible. And to live it in the Middle East will be symbolic for the future of the world. Tell us about the benefits that this will bring for the tournament. Well, it will be, it will be a unique World Cup, unique in, in, in all events, in the sense that it cannot be repeated like that. There are eight beautiful stadiums, state-of-the-art, magnificent stadiums, uh, and they are all very, very close together, really, minutes, really, uh, from, from each other. So it will be a very compact World Cup. It will be a World Cup that will be played in ideal conditions from a weather point of view in November, December here in, in Qatar, in incredibly beautiful venues. November, December being also quite at the beginning of the season, which means the players, especially those playing in Europe, will not be tired from a long season. They will be fresh. So even from a technical point of view, we will witness the best World Cup ever because players will be in their maximum, in their top condition. Uh, and everything here is done for this World Cup to be a success. And this is very important. You're right. Everything here is done for the World Cup to be successful. How do you evaluate the work of the host country in this massive challenge after the coronavirus, during the coronavirus, to organize this FIFA Club World Cup? Well, it's, it's, it's impressive. It's impressive what uh, Qatar has been doing through the coronavirus, now with the organi organization of the Club World Cup, and more generally also with um, the preparations for the World Cup, because this Club World Cup that is being placed, played now helps also to test many things for the World Cup in 2022. And um, I think... 
that Qatar has shown that it is possible, even in a difficult situation, to organize games, to bring spectators healthy insecurity in a stadium, that um, we can bring teams from all the continents to come here and to play in a secure way. So uh, I would like to, to really sincerely thank the authorities in, in Qatar for making this happen. You have followed the construction of the stadiums and now you are here. You have seen most of them ready. Can we get through your thoughts in terms of facilities for both for players and fans? I think honestly that uh, the World Cup 2022 for anyone who is even just a little bit football fan will be uh, he will feel like I don't know Alice in Wonderland. It's uh, it will be something incredible, like a kid in a toy shop where he can have all the toys for free or almost for free, where you can witness the best of football in a concentrated way in uh, venues that have been made specifically for that purpose, where everything is, is done to make uh, the players feel good, to make the referees feel good, but to make, and that's the most important point, the fans feel good, make the fans feel home, make the fans feel safe. So if they come here, and when they will come here, I hope in big masses, they will discover a region, a country that they didn't know that way, a welcoming place, a place where they can come and celebrate, where they can enjoy football, but they can enjoy as well being together uh, in a safe environment. So uh, it, is, uh, it is amazing what is prepared here. It's the first time that the stadium will be built and dismantled for FIFA football competitions. What extent could this be a repeatable solution to the challenges of sustainability? I think that sustainability is and has to be in the future even more uh, a key element when it comes to organization of, of uh, sporting events, of big sporting events. We don't need anymore these big venues that are not needed, that, that are not used later on. The example that, is, uh, that has been started here in, in Qatar, building a stadium, dismantled, rebuild it uh, somewhere else in a country that needs it maybe, is a very, very interesting uh, experiment, so to say, because it's the first time it's done and it will be definitely challenging, but I'm told that it will happen. And if there's something I've learned about uh, uh, Qatar is that uh, when they tell you that something will happen, then it will happen. So uh, it's something that maybe can be, can be repeated uh, definitely as well for future World Cups. And uh, uh, we have to take the learnings from this and analyze it. And more generally as well, uh, I believe in co-hosting uh, exactly for that reason as well, because uh, you don't need to have too many big World Cup stadiums in one single country. So if a few countries can join forces and organize a World Cup together, then I think this is also one way to look at these uh, questions for the future. How pleased were you to see a trio of women referee a men's match here at the World Cup? I was very pleased to see uh, a trio of women referees uh, at, at the match, uh, but not just because uh, of some PR reason. I was pleased that they are here for a real uh, reason. And um, when you look at the referees who are coming to, to a World Cup, they are here because they deserve to be here for what they have done, it sends out an important message to have a trio of, of, of women refereeing in the men's club World Cup in an Arab country. It shows what football can do, what football can provoke, but it is also a message towards the future of what we can expect 
going forward because this is here to stay and to evolve. Well, some really interesting thoughts there from uh, the FIFA president Gianni Infantino. He was speaking to the Living Football TV show presenter Gelson Fernandez, um, and this, you know, about the challenges of planning a big tournament during a global pandemic, the possibility of co-hosting uh, certain countries co-hosting together going forward. I suppose in a, at a time where it's hard to even plan what you're going to do next week, planning a big tournament like a FIFA World Cup must just blow your mind, don't you think? <laughs> I don't think anyone expected this pandemic to hit and, and hit the way that it has done. But a country like Qatar has had longer to prepare than maybe any other World Cup host because they were they were named uh, together with Russia. So Russia had shorter than four years shorter. So they've had they've had time to prepare, and, and so so in that respect, that that's that that's worked out for them. But to you know, there's circumstances in the world. I know this is not FIFA, but of course we have the European Championships this summer. And and you know, on the subject of co-hosting, Denmark are hosting four games, and it's a very very big thing, really a very big thing for our country because we can never ever host anything on our own. I think co-hosting anything is is would also be a challenge. So having these four games is incredibly big for us. But we we don't know. How that's going to pan out? Are we are we going to be able to go and watch the games? Will there be a crowd there? So I can I can see the point that it's really difficult to uh, organize into the details. That's you know a tournament like that has has to be. But they've they've done it so many times. I'm absolutely sure that when it comes to it, I think FIFA have have done it. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, you're saying that global pandemic you know it's left its mark everywhere really over the past year FIFA were quick to respond though you know they're emphasizing the advice of the World Health Organization they're spreading the word that health comes first and that it shouldn't be endangered by football but FIFA has also recognized the difficulties faced by the whole football community it set up a COVID-19 relief fund of 1.5 billion US dollars to help its 211 member associations throughout the crisis and in one country in particular that help has been crucial to its football future as Richard Connolly explains. The people of the Kyrgyzstan Republic in Central Asia love their football. But as with so many countries, the COVID-19 pandemic put a stop to their national championship. Mikhail Tolkachev is the executive director at the Kyrgyzstan Football Union. Due to the pandemic here in Kyrgyzstan, all sporting events were banned, so we were not able to stage any competitions. Thankfully, we were able to restart the season thanks to the support of the FIFA COVID-19 Relief Fund. We couldn't have done it without the help of the fund. Restarting the season wasn't only beneficial to the football union, it was also great news for broadcasters. Anna Osmonalieva of Kyrgyzstan Sport TV was eager to give fans the chance to watch as much football as possible. I want to specially mention the FIFA fund. It gave us the opportunity, together with the Football Association, to hold our championship during the pandemic. Together, we've broadcast the matches on YouTube and on our TV channel. This gave an opportunity for the spectators who didn't have access to the stadium to watch the games and support their favourite teams and just enjoy football during this difficult time. All FIFA member associations will be able to use the funds for activities such as the restart of competitions, the maintenance of football infrastructure and much more besides. The players and coaches have been delighted with the chance to continue what they do best. 
Bakitbek Mamatov is head coach of FC Ally Osh, while Bakhtiar Dushobakov plays as a midfielder for rival club FC Abdish Atakent. We were very pleased that the football championship in Kyrgyzstan was allowed to go ahead, as well as the cup competition. We want to thank FIFA for supporting our federation, who managed to overcome this difficult situation by applying all the medical requirements so that all the games could go ahead. I think it was good for Kyrgyz football to not cancel the season. Well, let's say thank you to FIFA, who help us every year, but especially this year. Because of the pandemic, there were discussions in the mayor's office as to whether to allocate money or not. So FIFA's help was really for us. It was a nice thing for all teams, for all clubs. The FIFA COVID-19 relief fund is a great example of football solidarity and commitment in such unprecedented times and it will continue to help football flourish across the globe. Yeah, Peter, it's a really interesting story. It really shows sort of FIFA's commitment to increasing global competitiveness and inclusivity with smaller nations. I don't know if you know this, but Denmark is actually smaller than Kyrgyzstan in terms of population. But, you know, I'm from England where this pandemic yeah. has hit all the way down the football pyramid. Just how important is it to support these smaller nations who have been hit so hard by this pandemic? No, it's 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 so it's important. I mean, to keep football alive, there's an ecosystem there, and that needs to be you know serviced and upheld. And I like the fact that the FIFA have this uh, COVID nineteen relief fund. And you know, if you if you are in financial trouble as a football club and you have no no spectators, no no TV. There is a responsibility for everyone to chip in uh, and make sure that this system, the e ecosystem is sustained. And uh, of course, FIFA being the world governing body in, in, uh, for football in the world, they are showing everyone in the world with this relief fund that this is something which is really important to do. And, uh, you know, football is not just about the, the highest level. Football is about, you know, excitement, you know, kids having fun. Adults having fun, you know. And if all that goes away, what do we have? We, we don't really have anything, do we? No, I agree with you. The, the elite is one thing, but we've got to help. As you say, it's the ecosystem. It's the food chain. Um, well, Gianni Infantino was talking about next year's FIFA World Cup in Qatar. So before we let you go, Peter, we want to talk about your own World Cup experiences. Um, it's been fascinating hearing you talk about the UEFA Champions League winning team. So let's talk about France 98 with Denmark. So you reached the quarterfinals. What is it like? I mean, you know, with European Championships coming up, I mean, everyone's got their eye on that. It's preparing for that. You are probably, you know, the first name on the team sheet going to that tournament. What is the preparation like before that? Just how exciting is it for you, for your family, for everyone? Everyone around sort of your country to play the world cup in france was was an extraordinary an extraordinary thing to take part in the excitement of what you're about to, to take part is incredible we had we had a really mixed world cup our first game in Lens, we played saudi arabia we won the game one nil now to win a game one nil doesn't matter who you play in your first group game it just sets you up nicely for the rest of the tournament and our second game was was uh South Africa, we drew that 1-1. We ended up playing France in the last game and we had four points. Tactically, you know, you could sort of adjust throughout the game knowing what the 
the score in the other game was because we obviously played at the same time and we we were one nil down and then it got back to one one and then uh, halfway through the second half uh, France scored again so two one down but we kind of knew what the score was in the other game and if we stayed like this not trying to score not trying to risk conceding another goal we would go through and if our next game was then in Paris against uh, Nigeria Nigeria was kind of the team the first African team to have some kind of favorite status. They, that was a great team they had. Really yeah, I remember. Team. I remember. And we beat them 4-1. And from then on, we were the best team in the world in Denmark. We were. The media loved us and everyone was excited. And and the next game we lost 3-2 to, uh, to Brazil. And, you know, we played, well, we played quite well in that game. But I did, I mean, I played against Rivaldo in that game. Oh, well, that's what I was going to say. There's no shame in Ruz losing to a side with the, that level of players. You had Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Bebeto, Roberto Carlos, Cafu, Dunga, and Leonardo. I mean, no, there's no, no shame in losing to them. I have to say, I have to say, when I look when I look at this game and I see how it panned out, we had every right to be disappointed. Obviously, when you have the talent they have going forward, uh, Bebeto had a really good game. Ronaldo had a good game. You have more chances because at the end of the day, football is all about scoring goals. But I have to say that uh, it took me a long, long time to sort of put a smile on my face when I heard the name Rivaldo because he scored twice in that game. But we also qualified when the same group as Barcelona in the Champions League in the in the autumn. And we drew both of those games 3-3. And I wasn't happy with Ronaldo, uh, Rivaldo that year. It wasn't it wasn't a great Rivaldo year for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's what it is. But we... If I put my sort of uh, objective, neutral eyes on, it, it is quite impressive that a country of this size can do that. So hopefully we'll be in Qatar as well. We're definitely in the Euros. And uh, and you know who's in the Qatar and the Euros? It's your son, Casper. I mean, you know, you were in Russia watching him in 2018. I always love this tweet that you put out when he won the Premier League with Leicester. It was something like, what is it? I'm, I'm the father of a Premier League champion or something. It was something along those lines, which I absolutely loved because yeah. I can only imagine your pride as a dad yeah. watching your son do that, particularly when he obviously has yeah. that pressure behind him being your son. So what is it like when the role is reversed? Because he would have been proud watching you all these years. What's it like when you are in Russia, for no, example, I, I, watching this, your this son? Is, it's, it's, um, so, so when it comes to the national team, obviously it's, it's two things for me. It is, it was my own dream to play in the national team. Uh, so it, it carries an incredible amount of, of meaning to me. When I'm much watching the Danish team, Obviously, I have still have that pride. I still have this kind of this feel of belonging, this this, this uh, supportive gene, if you like. I want Denmark to do well. I want our nation to be proud of our football and, uh, and our football team as well. And then you add to that that my son is actually playing that team. That sort of last ingredients has a multiple of maybe five or ten. I don't think you put a number to it, but it just makes it so much more different. I'm sure it will be because, you know, as a, as a fellow parent, you can only just dream of stuff. It must be surreal seeing your son repeating what you're doing. And, and we look forward to that. And do you know what, Peter? It's been so fantastic to have you with us on this podcast. As I say, we could just talk for hours with you. So many fascinating stories, so much insight. And, um, and I hope you'll come back and join us again another time. Thank you so much again, FIFA legend Peter Schmeichel, for joining Thank us you. today, no, as always. Thank you so much. Now, that is about it for now. We hope you've enjoyed the first episode of the Living Football Podcast as much as we have. Make sure you join us in a couple of weeks' time for episode two. 
please subscribe to us via your favourite podcast provider and go and have a listen to the FIFA Play On podcast if you get the chance where the worlds of music and football meet. That one is hosted by One Direction star Liam Payne. Remember to head to FIFA.com to watch the Living Football TV show and for comprehensive coverage of FIFA tournaments and initiatives. But until next time, from myself and from Peter Schmeichel, it's goodbye.